0: From Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Shailene from Logicmark. Shailene, it's really nice to have you on. It's nice to be here, Brad. Thank you. Absolutely. So to kick us off, can you tell me a bit about yourself as well as your company and who you guys are and what you're doing?
1: Sure. My name is Shailen Simmons, and I'm the CEO of Logic Mark. And we are in what I call the, in the past, we've called things like the i fall fallen, and I can't get up business. But really, I think that we're really in a health communications business and personal emergency response systems business.
0: So getting into that a little bit more, what's your product and who do you guys target and market it to and all that stuff?
1: Sure. Absolutely. Great question. So we have in the past had all of these sort of wearable devices for those who are aging to help them basically feel safety. So in case they had an accident or a fall, they could push that button and get immediately to a 911 service and get them the help that they need. One in four Americans who are 65 and over fall. And if they fall and they don't get help within the first hour, the health outcomes are worse. And so we've been the proud provider of these products and services since 2005 when the company was formed. And we're one of the largest providers of this product into the largest hospital network in the United States, which is the Veterans Administration. But moving forward, we're doing even more than that as well.
0: That's awesome. So what's your story? How did you get into this space? It's a very specific space and I love it. And how did you come to be here?
1: No, that's a really great question. It doesn't seem like a natural sort of jump. I came out of an AI ML business for retail at my startup. And prior to that, I was serving as an executive for Google where I was helping to grow our Google Play business, which is in the movies and TVs and all of that type of music services, subscriptions and all of that. And pretty much spent 26 plus years of my career in Tech companies, and so really, what galvanized this opportunity was, you know, when a recruiter reached out, and I really took a look at it, and I looked at my own personal experience in this industry. I realized that there really needed to be a tremendous amount of change. In fact, the industry really hasn't changed or evolved the technology too much since the the 80s, when these ads, somewhat ubiquitous ads at night, were running on TV. Like a lot of folks, the one in four millennials and more than half of Gen Xers, of which I'm one, I'm part of a. Sandwich generation. And so I was also helping caring for a senior loved one, my mother in law. And I had one experience that was just crystallized in my head. And at the time, I wasn't working at this company and I filed it in the back of my mind thinking, gosh, this industry really needed to change. My poor mother in law had to wear a device that's really not attractive. And she's an art teacher, right? And she's Mm -hmm. fashionable and she's a very abled adult person. But she was wearing one of these devices because my Father-in-law had passed and she was living alone in a home before she went to a retirement community. She came to a visit, sat down too quickly at a restaurant and immediately her device, which had a fall detection, screams out, Mrs. Becker, are you okay? And much like a slow-mo movie... Things got hushed and everybody turned and looked at her and of course she's absolutely embarrassed. And at the back of my mind, I thought, man, like somebody's got to do better work on these products, like better fall detection, they got to be better looking, like this is just horrible. I hope somebody comes up with a solution. And little did I know, in June of 2021, I was presented with an opportunity to do just that, to basically make these devices, to really catch up to the modern world that we're in, an IoT-connected device that's learning, that's backed by AI and ML. So it's been really exciting to work on that.
0: Absolutely. I love that. So as you stepped into this company, like you said, this industry has been around for a bit. You want there to be change, innovation. How have you looked at that from a strategy perspective, your products you have what you're thinking about for the future what are maybe some tactics and strategies you've used to grow the company i'd love to hear all about that
1: yeah, absolutely. That's a really great question. I tend to be somebody who is a firm believer that technology cannot exist in a vacuum. Having come out of and grown into the in the tech industry, oftentimes I hang out with a lot of engineers and we're all just super excited as geeks to create like really great tech, right? And then we're looking for a solution. We created a solution for some question and then we're looking for product market fit after we came up with this really cool tech, right? And what's really, I think, instructive in the latter part of my career is to try to put people in the center of everything. Our customers have to lie in the center of what we're looking to do. And the best way to get that is to basically talk to people who are utilizing the products. It is just that simple. People who are utilizing it, but you have to look at your customers in a way that is fairly expansive. We tend to try to target one segment and one time frame of a customer's lifetime, which is typically in this particular industry, you're focused on the end users of the product and at the closer when they're aging population. And I tend to think about people in what I would call the continuous customer journey and also the people who are the adjacencies and people who are the purchasers of that particular product. And so typically the focus is on here's the elderly and they're aging at home. And so you're just going to talk them into getting one of these devices and they're old. And so they don't really need something cute and it doesn't need to be connected and none of that versus this idea of who's the ones who are actually um, trying to convince the elderly to wear these devices. And it's actually, ironically, your targeted customer is that one in four millennial and the half of Gen Xers who are trying to help their parents live independently, right? They, in no way do they want to have their parents feel like they're less abled. But like a lot of folks in our generation, the one in four millennial, the half of Gen Xers, we're connected to everything. We like to hack our own health, wearing Fitbits. We like to track our pets using trackers, Right. And so it's fairly natural for us to want to be able to provide that safety net for our parents. And so they actually make a lot of the research decisions and purchasing decisions as well to help their parents. And so it basically meant trying to be much more expansive about who is the customer that you're putting in the middle. And then- Mm product fitting, not just the end of the use and the interest of the person who's the end user, but also the person who's actually helping to make that purchasing decision. And to also think a little bit closer to what an ARP thinks, which I know people sometimes poo them, but I would say that they basically moved their sort of membership age from 65 to 50. I happily was like, man, I just turned 50. I am running towards getting an ARP membership because I'm like, I get the sense on everything. And it's because they understand that targeting of people who are just starting to age and some of the relevancies of introducing them to some of the things that they might want to think about is really important. So you don't really want to target your audience when they're in need immediately. What you want to do is educate them on trying to be preventive versus being reactive. And that's really how we're pivoting and looking at our business today, is trying to be a preventive technology versus a reactive technology.
0: I love that. What's your approach when building a team? How do you approach that?
1: In our particular instance, I call us a startup with a ticker symbol. We are a public company. And so it comes with all of the wonderful things about being a public company, especially for shareholders. We're super transparent and all of that. But it's lovely to be a very small company that's like a startup. And so you get the best of both roles, you get the transparency and the sort of capability to have a body of shareholders that can be visible to you, and then also be in a public company. And that allows us to basically hire the type of people that we think we want to be in the leadership role. And that is people for us, um, I would like to, we only hire people who have startup as well as public company experience, because you have to be able to run like a series A startup, Be nimble, but also understand that you're running a big corporation that is on a public exchange. And so that sort of decisions that you're making is extremely public and important. And so you're being much more thoughtful about not trying to break uh, things as you go along, which is much more typical startup. And then also to be, even prior to COVID, we were actually a dispersed company. And Mm -hmm. the reason why, philosophically, I think this company's always felt that you want to hire people that are the best at what they do. And it does not matter where they sit because technology has allowed us to actually be dispersed and work collaboratively together. So we use basically, we hire the best people that we can find to do the job that we want them to do.
0: I love that. There have been any lessons learned in in the past or any insights that you've gathered? A
1: couple of things we picked up, which is, In running a dispersed company, absolutely, we are able to 100% collaborate all the time and to be able to function well in a remote environment. But sometimes it's just amazingly great to be able to sit down and brainstorm together in one geographic location. And so we've looked for ways to meet on a quarterly basis and to have the teams gather in different functional groups physically in person in sort of random moments to basically brainstorm, and collaborate together. They don't need to do that necessarily every day. And goodness knows when I was at Google, I sat next to an engineer that literally we worked on a project together, but I never wants to talk to me and is always on IM to me, right? So we could be physically together and still be connected, but apparently... It was just easier for him to IO me. And so we get that some people function better that way, but that sort of once in a while, physical meetings have helped us in terms of really growing and collaborating together. So I think having those when we can on a quarterly basis is really important. Um, And then, two, is that we constantly always question how is this serving the customer? Again, it's really easy to talk about it on a really big level, but it's really difficult to when we ask a question and we're looking at sort of day-to-day functions and you're moving really quickly, It's always really important to say like, how does this fit our customers? How Not how is making it easy for us to do engineering work, right, because this is more expedient to do it this way and we can launch faster, but rather, if we make this decision, how does this impact the customer? because I think that it's really crucial for a company like ours to be able to serve our customers is to ask that question in every decision we make.
0: Let's move on to a little bit different topic. Let's talk about LinkedIn, your executive presence. Are you joining podcasts like this, all that? <laughs> and what's your take on that and thoughts about being a CEO and also present on LinkedIn and things like podcasts and all that?
1: I've, been one of those people who've always been more comfortable working in the background. I'm a geek. I love to build things. I love to do operational work. I love to run marketing. And so we live in a world where there's a lot more social media. We have things like podcasts and videos and audio. And I know it's important for people to hear from company executives why they should want to purchase the items. Because in so many ways, when customers are entrusting their family members to you, they want to know that you're a genuine person that has the same issues that they do. And I absolutely do. I have a 14-year-old, I have an elderly mother-in-law, so I feel their pain. But that also that we are really focused on trying to provide the best product we can. And so that really forces, I think, a lot of CEOs nowadays to have to step up and be more visible versus being operators as just heads down and trying to make sure that we're meeting our goals only. And so it's a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. It's also really invigorating to go out there and share what we're working on with a lot of people whether or not that's through LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or podcasts, because it really allows us to, I think, help our customers know who we are and also for us to learn more about our customers because we get really interesting and great responses back. It's been really great, although, again, a little bit nerve-wracking for somebody who's a little bit shy.
0: Absolutely. What's one thing you wish you would have known when you first became CEO or a CEO that you know now?
1: I would say that I wish I had known how important it was to have such a wonderful partnership with your CFO and your securities attorneys, because being a CEO of a public company is radically different than being CEO of a privately held venture
0: capital backed company. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be?
1: Always take an opportunity that's uncomfortable and, and, is a challenge because that's how you grow.
0: Absolutely. And can you describe a time when you had to pivot strategy or your direction? How do you go about that? How do you make the decision? What happened all that?
1: I would say that as part of this company, we had always thought we would try to build a lot of the technology because there was not a lot out there that was innovative. We've pivoted a little bit to really focus on being really great at our piece of this industry, which is multifold, multifold actually, is how I should put it. So to be really good at one piece of it and really rely on others to be really great at what they do. For example, building a blood pressure monitor. We're never going to be really great at that, right? And so to collaborate with the best in class folks to do those pieces and focus on what we're really good at.
0: And then what's one piece of, it, of advice for your industry as a whole as we wrap up here?
1: I think that this industry doesn't have to be just about monitoring it or actually a reactive technology that you should and should continue to evolve to be much more communication oriented, to be much more predictive. I think overall, the industry and health for folks we're really trying to assist would benefit from that.
0: It's been amazing to have you on our podcast today. Thanks so much for joining and sharing all your wisdom and insights.
1: Thank you so much, Brad, for inviting me. Absolutely.